eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball Players Edition. Alongside Tony Gwynn Jr., I'm Ben Davis. Big Time Baseball Players Edition is a part of Radio.com which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations and over 1,100 podcasts. Explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Well, let's get right into it, Tony. A lot to talk about. We got the Nats going to the World Series. First time since 1930. Hard to believe it's been that long, uh, but they just really have shocked the world. They have just played tremendous baseball. It all starts with pitching. Boy, do they have it. Um, it's been fun to watch, and I think pretty much the sneakiest lineup, I think, in all the playoffs. That's a sneaky lineup that can put up some runs in a hurry. We saw what happened yesterday with that seven-run outburst in the first inning in game four. Uh, but what's your take on this, guys, and how far can they go? Uh, listen, I think – they, I think they can win it. I do. I think they have enough pitching to do it. I think some of the, even some of the guys in the bullpen are pitching, uh, are hot right now. And you take it, Annabelle Sanchez, that gives them four starters that are pitching uh, out of their mind right now. And I, I, I take them up against anybody right now. Uh, you want to be the hot team when you get this late in the season. And you mentioned that lineup, and and I've said on on our on our show here that Anthony Rendon is one of the most underrated players. That, that you that can possibly be uh guess what so is howie kendrick right mm-hmm. you look at his numbers all the way from the beginning till now this dude is one of the most consistent guys that's that's been around since i mean since the 2008 2007 so uh he's put a put together a tremendous career but not he's put together a tremendous postseason and Big reason why this team is is in the World Series in a complete sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, without a doubt. He has been just top-notch. I'm anxious to see what happens with the Yankees and the Astros. And we're going to have a lot of of postseason coverage later on with a couple interviews with with Brett Brune, Brett Boone and Ryan Spielborgs. So plenty more to get into. But let's talk about they were 
eight managerial positions that needed to be filled. Now there are seven. Joe Madden taking the job in Anaheim. Uh, it looks like he's going to be the skipper there for the next three years. Reported three years, $12 million deal. Uh, a lot of big names still out on the market. Joe Girardi, Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker. Uh, but Madden lands in Anaheim. What, what say you? Is this a good move for the Angels? Uh, I think this is a good move for the Angels. I think it's a good move for Joe Madden. He, he gets to start, uh, go back to a place where it all started. He was a bench coach there for Mike Social for a number of years. Um, and I, I, I think the Angels are in a place now where they could use the kind of breath of fresh air that Joe Madden will bring to this organization. You know uh, how he likes to run his team. He gives players the freedom to be who they are. Uh, and, and that'll be a change, you know, from a, a probably a, a more stern view of, uh, of baseball that the Angels have been accustomed to over the years. Uh, I think this will be a breath of fresh air, and I think uh, they're going to get some production. I think this could revitalize uh, some of those guys that have been in that organization and, and, and kind of get them moving in the right direction. Um, and this is about the, for the money I, I, I assumed he would get. It seems like three years, $12 million, uh, will be the, the number over $12 million over three years. And um, I, I just think this is a good move for the Angels. I think there are probably a lot of other teams, <laughs> including the Padres, that uh, that miss out on, on possibly having Joe Madden. But in terms of the Angels and Joe Madden himself, I think this is a great move. Tony, do you think that the face of the franchise, Mike Trout, had any say in this? You know, what's interesting, everything that I've gathered about Mike Trout is is that it would seem as though he wouldn't necessarily want to give his input. He just seems like the type of guy that wants to just go out, play. Uh, but I would assume that he was certainly asked about it. I mean, you don't give a guy as much money as the Angels gave him and not get his input on if he would like to play for a guy or not. So, uh, but as I said, Mike Trout comes off to me. He seems like a guy that really would just go out and play for anybody who uh, was at the helm as manager. Uh, but I, I mean, Ben, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you the same question. It, it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of stupid not to ask a guy that uh, is the face of your franchise, the highest paid guy in your franchise, uh, not to ask him what he thought a little bit. Right. Yeah, I, I think they probably said, hey, do you have any objections? If, unless you, you know, completely anti-Joe Madden, I think it's, right. hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. We'd like to do it. Do we have your blessing? Not that it matters. But I, I think if there was, if he, vehem, you know, was completely against it, maybe it would change their mind a little bit. But uh, I think they take some of that guesswork out of it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let's bring on Brett Boone, three-time All-Star, second baseman, former teammate of mine, not only in San Diego, but also in Seattle. Brett's got a lot riding. He's watching every playoff game. He's uh, Obviously, his brother Aaron is the manager for New York Yankees, and his father, Bob, is a, uh, a VP with the Washington Nationals, who just recently advanced to the World Series. So he's got a lot invested into it. Let's get right to it. Joining us now is longtime MLB second baseman Brett Boone, who was a favorite teammate of mine, I will say that, in Seattle and was a three-time All-Star in his playing days. Brett, thanks for coming on with us. You got it, guys. We appreciate you coming on today. A lot going on in, in the baseball world. And, um, you know, we got the, that the ALCS and the NLCS going right now. Obviously, your brother is managing the New York Yankees ball club, and they kind of ran into a buzzsaw the last couple of days uh, with the Astros pitching, how good is that rotation, and how do you, how can you attack these guys? I'll tell you, Ben. I, you know, um, 
I've been following the postseason. I've been, you know, since the postseason started with the eight teams, I've been watching every game. It's kind of mind numbing, but it kind of got me into the fold and all these, these players that I'm getting up to date on. I, I just look at the Astros and I've looked at the Astros from the beginning of the, of the postseason. You know, if you break down every team, every team has great, you know, Yankees, great bullpen. They've got a, they've got a, uh, a lineup that's just been bludgeoning teams to death all year. And, and it seems like it doesn't matter who they put in the lineup. <clears throat> but when I look at that Astro team, top to bottom, defense, offense, starting pitching, bullpen, you really, that's the only team in the postseason that doesn't have a weakness. And you, you really got to play your best uh, to beat these guys. Garrett Cole, you know, I was talking to some people the other day. And they, you know, I, I've kind of simplified my analysis of everything. And I said, right now on October 15th, 2019, and I, you know, six months from now, it'll be different. Garrett Cole is the, is the best pitcher on the planet, pure and simple. <clears throat> He's the best. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I knew they were going to be in for it. That, that game two for me in, in this series was such a huge turning point because I'm sitting there and, and I try to take the brother cap off and, and just kind of be <laughs> real neutral but late in the game, I'm thinking, you know, and they're going to that bullpen. I'm going, the only thing you don't want is extra innings because that Yankee bullpen finally runs out. Um, but that game, too, was such a pivotal moment because I think the Yankees, if they get game two and go home with a 2-0 lead, they can weather the Garrett Cole and I think yeah. win that series. Now, uh, facing Cole 1-1, and, and he, he went out and did kind of what we expected, what he's been doing for his last 20, 20 outings. And just basically, as the game goes on, he gets stronger. Um, if any le- lineup right now, I think can overcome a Garrett Cole. I would think it would be the Yankees. But Ben, Tony, as you guys know, you get into the postseason, <clears throat> you get a pitcher that's that talented, that locked in. Uh, man, it, it doesn't matter what lineup you throw. You could throw the all-star lineup out there, and he's got a chance to shut them down. So they just kind of re- got to regroup. I was just reading, I guess, the game today's canceled. So, um, yeah. you know, that gives yeah, that, I- that gives it. I, th- I think that's uh, – I don't know if it's an advantage or disadvantage for either team. I'm thinking Aaron was in a position where, you know, his best postseason pitcher, let's let's be honest, has been Tanaka. And um, yeah, it gives Tanaka yeah. the chance to go on, on his normal four days rest. So uh, it, I still think it's going to be a tough uh, – a good series. But having Verlander sitting there in game six and game seven is a pretty, pretty daunting task. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of things to what you just said, Brett. One, uh, watching that game, game two, uh, or excuse me, game three uh, with the Astros and Yankees, how discouraging is it that the Yankees did a pretty good job of extending it bats when they could, but through 100-plus pitches, as you said, he just seemed to get stronger. So the whole uh, game plan of try to wear him down, get, get his pitch count up, uh, hopefully he starts to tire just went the opposite way. Cause it seemed like, as you said, he got stronger. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think the, uh, the day offs could be a help to the Yankees, especially the way they use their bullpen, uh, having all those relievers. Uh, it just seems like that would kind of benefit the Yankees in this, from this standpoint. Right. You know, I think so. <clears throat> I read something today that somebody said advantage Houston. And I just thought, <clears throat> why? Well, I, I don't know how that's an advantage to Houston and, and on purpose, it, in this postseason, you know, I talked to Aaron during the season probably once every 10 days. I haven't talked to him at all other than a text, you know, wishing him well and good luck. Uh, he's got enough on his plate. So I really don't know <clears throat> what's going on with him and what his setup was for today. 
but if I look at it, you know, they, they're really, their plan has been, and, and all year, I think, is to, to bludgeon you with that bullpen. But mm-hmm. you, you, you get into a point where you've used them pretty extensively over the first two, three games, and now be in a position where, you know, if Tanaka was going to go tomorrow, they would have had to extend that bullpen again today to get to Tanaka. Yeah. So yeah. I look at it as an advantage for the Yankees. It gives them a day to, to rest their bullpen guys. And like I said, come back, Tanaka will have his normal four-day uh, rest period. So, And he's been their best pitcher in the postseason. So <clears throat> I look at it as definitely an advantage for the Yankees when actually being down 2-1, they really need an advantage right now. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of collect themselves and, and you know, you get those nightmares of Garrett Cole out of your mind. You know, Tony, you bring up a good point. I was just waiting for him, you know, and I had some guys in the room asking me questions that are, you know, casual baseball fans. And I said, well, the, the best chance for these Yankees is to get this guy out of the game and get in their pet. <laughs> and early I saw him loading bases. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, you know, like the seventh inning, I'm like, is, is he going to throw 200 pitches? And, and he's yeah. out there like he just uh, he just finished brunch. You know, the rest of these guys are sweating. I mean, they got a scowl right. on their face. Right. And he's just, re- he's just reaching back and, oh, that's 100. And it's yeah. kind of, and located by the way. Um, so yeah, he right now is kind of like a, he's like an avatar and, and you don't want, you don't like to face avatars. So they don't have to face him for a while. I think their only thing is, is, you know, hoping Tanaka has a real good day tomorrow and uh, like he's been doing. And uh, you know, it's, it becomes pretty essential right now. You know, it's funny how we talk about the postseason. Oh, this is a big turning point. This is well, every game is, you know, if they win game two, it's a different series, but Wait, they lose series. game two and they're going against Garrett Cole. Now they're in a kind of a back to the wall situation where they really have to win game four. So I'll be pulling for Aaron and it'll be interesting. Uh, on the other side, dad, you know, he's the VP of the nationals. They got to go to a world series. So, and he's back there with Aaron now staying with him. So you got one guy going to the world series, his organization, the other guy grinding out, trying to find a way to get this. <laughs> Interesting. You know, the, Boone, yeah. the, the Boone, the Boone family's got a good, good problem to have right now. And I'm uh, up in Idaho hanging out with my buddies at the ranch. So I, I'm staying <laughs> Not out a bad of the spot friend. to be. Uh, yeah, Booney, looking back at, at obviously we uh, the game has changed a little bit since you know we played and uh, some some rules have been instituted. One thing that I, I was actually talking with my dad with uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think you know you can say whatever you want about the place at the plate and how the catcher cannot block the plate. You can't run the catcher over anymore. I think one of the biggest things that have changed is how guys approach not taking out the second baseman. And one thing, mm. and and I brought you up, Booney, and I said. In the three years that, well, three plus years I played with you in San Diego and Seattle, I never saw you once get touched by a base runner. You know how to avoid guys. It was such an art form and a joy to watch. Nobody was quicker than I ever played with in turning double play. But now these second basemen literally just stand on the bag, throw the ball to first without a care or concern in the world. In my mind, that has changed the game more so than anything. But you were never able to get hurt. Would you rather see that rule put back in? I'd like I'd like to see a lot of rules put back in. You know the catching thing. I'll, then the the catching thing I'll leave to you because that's kind of I consider myself pretty well versed on every facet of this game except for that catching position still boggles my mind. And I'll still turn to my dad. You know, and my dad's now he's seventy years old, seventy one years old, so he's got a real bias about his time. So, but if I do have a catchy question, I'm like Dad, for the life of me, I can't figure it out. Tell me what's yeah. going on in this situation. <laughs> 
but but the thing that's really I wouldn't use the word troubled, but but I, I look to this the little changes they have and it's this instant replay has caused a lot of stuff now. Oh you know, my gosh. It's, it's, yes. the, um, it's the have to physically lay the tag on somebody. Um, right. You know, in, in our day, <clears throat> as long as you, you know, if a guy steals a second, you guys, you're throwing the ball to me at second. My job is to get the tag down, get it out, show it to the umpire. Nowadays, you got to mm-hmm. hold that tag on these guys. And I think that's dangerous more than anything. If I've got a guy dead to rights out by five, six feet, he's coming in spikes high. I've got to physically put that that glove on his spikes to get the mm-hmm. out or they'll they'll super slow mo me and he's safe. So I think that's kind of dangerous. I don't think it's good for the game. Uh, the second base thing. No, taking out a runner's part of the game. As long as you I wanted guys to come in as hard as they can, as long as they stayed legal and didn't cross yeah. body block me or break my, you know, try to snap my knee. I, ch- I, ch- I welcome the challenge. You know, it's kind of like you're a bull. You're a bullfighter and I'm going to mm-hmm. give you my left leg but you're not going to get me because it's going to be up in the air as soon as that ball hits my glove. And I kind of used to revel people trying to take me out. It was part of it's as second baseman. What we really lean on is what makes us different than everybody else. You know, the shortstop position is the toughest position I think in the infield by far second base, the routine ground ball, you know, shortstops laugh at us, but we, I used to tell my, my shortstop, Barry Larkin, you know, who I played with the longest. I said, Barry, you know, you make these fancy plays in the hole. I said, but we got to put with with the game on the line. I got my back to somebody trying to, yeah. to trying to rip, rip my head off, and I got to turn that big double play. That's where I earned my paycheck, and and I yeah. reveled in that. I love that. I think everybody that played the position loved it. <clears throat> the thing for me, weird too, with that rule change is now you've got to be anchored to that bag. You know, in our day, man, as long as that left foot was on the bag when I when I got that ball, I could kind of fancy footwork you try to avoid getting taken out and throw it. Now you got to be anchored. So if a if a real aggressive player overextends himself and and kind of breaks the current rule and comes across the bag, well, that's dangerous too for the second baseman right. because he's got to be yeah. anchored to that bag. And that's where that's where injuries occur. <clears throat> around the around the bag making the pivot, the injuries occur when you when you stay anchored to the bag to the ground you've got to get your feet up in the air moving you know that's what we're taught from a young age so i'd like to see a couple of these rules change you're changing to me i like some of the positive rule change i love the fact that in a big game a bang bang play at first we're able to review it and get it right you know that home run is it fair or foul the home run that gets, you know, hits the yellow line doesn't. I think those are good things because because in a postseason game, you don't want to be something you don't want a game to change on a on a human error. That was really tough. And some of these calls for umpires are really tough calls. And and now right. that they have the, the replay, I think those are all positive things for the game. But certain things you, you got to you got to, you know, you've got to keep the same. That's what makes this game great. And, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kick it back to you as far as what you think about everything going on in that catching. Cause I get, I get, my mind gets scrambled. It's like, he's in the line. He's not in the line. <laughs> is he allowed to do that? Can he give, you know, I, I don't know. That boggles my mind. It's all up to interpretation and, and I don't, I can't interpret it. <laughs> it really is. I, I, even I, some of the catchers don't even know the damn rule, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, like, it, it's something check, else. You know, well, now, I, now catchers, you got the you get the play card on your wristband, like a like a quarterback. So you, everything's written there. Your your kid's homework, what the signs are. <laughs> then I leave a leg. You know, it's like these kids have got computers on them. I, I can't I can't comprehend it. 
<laughs> I'm so glad you, you brought up some of the things about the second base rule because I, I think that's why you see so many times now where teams will just plug a guy in there who normally uh, wouldn't have the footwork to avoid getting taken out, but because that rule's gone, that kind of is out the window now. You can have uh, almost anybody play it as long as they can catch it and throw it to first. You're good. But, I, Brett, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your about postseason at bats because I, over the last few days uh, on, on a radio show out here in San Diego, I've been trying to explain how the intensity is up and everybody's um, – focus is heightened. Now, I look at your numbers in the postseason, you were terrific. I mean, 370 with six extra base hits in that 99 postseason with Atlanta, uh, and then you hit 438 in the World Series against the Yankees. Talk a little bit about the difference in a regular season at bat compared to a postseason at bat where everybody's focus is heightened. That's a great question, and I think, you know, as a young player, uh, it's obviously tougher because it's new for us. We don't have the experience of the veteran. Uh, I remember talking to, to veteran players that have been around and as, as I, you know, as I grew in my career and I got a little more time, you know, I, I remember talking to Hal McCray, who was a hitting coach of mine in Cincinnati and <clears throat> got these long talks. I said, Hal, how do you, you know, get that anxiety out? You know, he said, Brett, you got to realize this post, especially in a big situation. You know, I think all of us have been in those situations and I used to take a lot of pride in that runner on third, less than two outs, you know, a simple thing, but man, for us hitters, getting that runner in is our only job. I don't care if I hit a 12 hopper to the shortstop. That was my job in that situation. As long as I got that run in and how used to say, Brett, you know, when you get in those big situations and I, and I attribute, you know, I, I can kind of go into the postseason because every postseason bat seems to be, to be really, uh, Magnified, magnified, magnified. Yeah. But he said, you've got to realize, especially in a situation, you know, runners on you out there as players, we, we kind of, okay, I've got to get this job done. This is a big situation. It's a big game. He said, you got to realize the, the pressures on the pitcher. He's got to come to you. And if you can flip the script on him, and I don't know if there's any, any uh, magic to it uh, of how you flip the switch other than experience going through it talking with guys that have been there, done that, what they're thinking, how they prepare to take those at bats. I got to a point later in my career, you know, by the early two thousands where I'd been through enough, I'd had some post postseason experience and I learned how to flip that switch where it wasn't on me. By the time I left that batter's box, or I'm sorry, by the time I left that on deck circle, I had already gone through a hundred checkpoints and it was kind of like a deep breath and Hey, I've got it in my mind, what I'm trying to do here. I don't care how big the stage is, the bigger the stage, if the lower my heart rate's got to go. And I just learned that through trial and error. And it's something that some guys learn at an early age. You know, I look at some of these young players today and it, it, a Soto comes to mind. It's this 20 yeah, year old yeah. kid. He's up there looking like this is his fifth postseason. And I'm going, you yeah. know, are you really 20 years old? First of all, if you are, this is beyond my comprehension. <laughs> you know, my son's a, my son's a junior in college at the same age. And this guy's on the big stage getting big hits, you know, hitting that home runoff. <clears throat> Was it Kershaw to, to extend yeah. It's like, that's stuff that, that I can't fathom. You know, I was at USC when I was 20 years old, but uh, it's quite remarkable, you know, for us in our era, Ben, the guy I remember because I was a young player at the time when Chipper Jones came onto the scene uh, mm-hmm. for Atlanta. And I remember as a young player, I think I was 24 years old when, when he got to the big leagues and watching him in that 95 
uh, I was with the Reds. They beat us in Atlanta to go to the World Series. And I remember just watching this kid. You know, he's 21 years old, and I'm going. And and Bobby Cox plugged him into the three hole in the lineup, and I and I was watching him. I'm like, how does he do that? It's like he doesn't have hair <laughs> in the world. He's giving you that squinty chipper look. Like, where are we? You know, it, it's like he was playing wiffle ball in the backyard. That's a gift. I don't think everybody has that. The rest of us have to kind of uh, learn through trial and error. And and the key is, is getting that heart rate down. I think that comes with preparation. I think it starts, uh, I used to call it five deep. I'd start thinking if I was fifth up in the lineup, I'd go through my checkpoints. It's what, what, you know, who's hitting in front of me, who's hitting behind me, who's hot, who's not, who's pitching, who might they bring in? What have I done in this series? By the time I go on deck, I've kind of got my, my plan formulated. Now it's time they announce my name. I go to the plate. I've got my plan. And I learned that from a lot of veteran guys that I played with. I think the epitome in our in our generation of really going to the plate and, and being able to calm your brain and have that low heart rate was Manny Ramirez. He was unbelievable. Yeah. When he stepped into the box, it was like, this guy acts like he's, you know, this is no big deal. And he's just, he just had that unwavering approach. And, uh, well, I think the results, you look at his bubblegum card, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Bernie, just one more question for you. And, and unfortunately, I was on the opposite end in 2001. I was in San Diego. You were in Seattle. Uh, by far your best season. You hit 331 with You led the league with RBIs with 141 with 37 home runs. In my opinion, you were the, National, the American League MVP. Obviously, you were not. You finished third that year behind Ichiro and Jason Giambi. But those numbers are Nintendo numbers. What did the ball look like to you in 2001? <laughs> it looked like dinner. No. <laughs> that, you know, it, it's funny because that year was such a special year. Not only not only the year I had, but the, the year the team had. It was just kind of one of those magical years. when, And, and by about midseason, it was the first time in my career I really never went into a rut. I never got into a slump. You know, all of us, we all do. We go in the slumps right. every year, and it, and it's uh, as soon as we get out of them, the better. But that year, I think a slump for me was like over oh, one for six, and um, it, it was just one of those things. I I was seeing the ball, I saw it good all year, and, and I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason for it because you know, two the next year I had a pretty good year in '03. I had a really good year, but I but I went through those trial and errors that we all go through. Uh, it was just a magical year for me. Things fell into place. I had a lot of guys around me that had had career years as well and perpetuated that that confidence and that you know it's it, it's kind of like we looked at each other that year I could look at myself and go you know I don't care who's pitching today I know I'm going to do something good good things are going to happen and I think those are just magical things that you don't really break down and wonder why you just you ride the ride and you enjoy it because yeah. you, you know this game is really hard and it's not it's not going to be the norm yeah, that's the truth. Well, Booney, we appreciate you coming on with us today. You were uh, av- absolute joy to to, to play with, and um, you know what? We wish you nothing but the best in uh, years to come. We wish nothing but the best for your brother Aaron, and and obviously for your pops too down in uh, in DC. But uh, Booney, we'd love to have you on again. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks, man. It was great. All right, All right Booney. Take care. All right, Booney. We'll All see right, you, Tony. Buddy. See you later. 
That was great stuff from Booney, uh, obviously with both his dad and his brother uh, really entrenched in these last couple of series we have remaining in the season. Uh, I'm sure his eyes will be locked in on that television. Uh, we're going to get ready for uh, Ryan Spielberg, who will join his former outfielder of the Colorado Rockies, currently out in New York right now. Uh, he's got a little extra time on his hands, so stay tuned. Hey, everybody, Cody Decker here from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about 4hims.com. 4hims.com is your one stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And you know what? I'm 32, and I've been taking hymns for three weeks now. Baseball did everything it could to take my hairline away from me, whether it was just wearing a helmet, wearing a hat, or my managers just not playing me. My hair was going away. And I'm 32 years old, and I don't want to be part of this statistic anymore. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best versions of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help you regrow your hair. 4Hims connects you to real doctors online. Get the hair loss treatment everybody's talking about, featured in GQ, Men's Health, Playboy, just to name a few. Not to mention, I talk about it every day on our Radio.com original Swings and Misses. Go to 4Hims.com slash swings. That's 4Hims, F-O-R-H. H-I-M-S dot com slash swings. We now bring on Ryan Spielborgs, the former big league outfielder and current MLB radio host. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing today? You got a post moment. You got some time on your hands today. Yeah, that's exactly right. So right now I'm in New York City. Uh, world is my oyster. I love that. Um, I'm huge into I'm huge into Broadway shows. And so, like, I've I've come to New York multiple times. I've seen uh, Hamilton a couple times. I've seen Waitress. I've seen, like, uh, I'm probably going to go try to see another one tonight. I'm not sure which one, um, depending on ticket prices and availability. I've seen <laughs> Wicked. Right. I've seen all those things. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to it. I was actually I, I was looking forward to the drama of a Yankees-Houston Astros game. Um, instead, I'm going to probably be sitting in, in a in a small theater sweating next to somebody that I bought tickets on StubHub from. Right. Yeah. Well, you're replacing <laughs> you're replacing drama with with some more drama. Let me ask you, because as this as this postponement has hit and uh, the games will be the game will be canceled today. I tend to believe this actually could be a good thing for the Yankees. Right. Because of the way they use their bullpen. Do you think this benefits the Yankees or, or the Astros more? I, I think it. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it benefits the Astros and a lot more. Mm. Uh, the re- reason why is today was going to be an Astros bullpen game, and that doesn't favor the Astros. That this was a game where you know if they played today, um, I would have probably given a sixty percent winning probability to the Yankees just based on who oh, they were going to throw. Win probability. Well, and you know what's funny about that is is those win probability numbers. If you look at them they're extremely accurate and um i i know like people kind of gloss their eyes over when we start talking about math and all these different factors but realistically the variables when you start looking at it um putting multiple bullpen arms from the houston astros which is not in their favor you know you're probably looking at brad peacock for a couple of innings and and to the latter it it really it's accurate the yankees would probably win today's game if it was played now because it's going to get postponed and it moves to Thursday, you're going to get Zach Greinke. And then most likely they're going to see Justin Verlander on Friday. And then if it does go to a game six, um, which I expected to do, I would say now you're going to get the bullpen game 
And then to, to give Garrett Cole that extra full day's rest um, for a potential game seven. And so when I, when I think about it that way, you know, even though I'm saying it, it's swinging in the Astros' favor, um, the reason why it doesn't benefit the Yankees is what we talked about, the bullpen. Um, you have to realize the bullpen now for Aaron Boone, um, because the weather's going to be fine tomorrow, the weather's going to be fine Friday. You're going to have Saturdays a game in Houston and Sundays a game in Houston. You're now putting that bullpen on four consecutive days. Um, and the game on Friday, it starts at 7 o'clock Eastern time with a travel at that night. And, and TJ, you know this. Like, that game, most likely, it's a playoff game. It's a four-hour game. So you're looking at, what, a 1.30 departure from New York City uh, to fly to Houston, which is a three-hour flight, which means these players are probably in bed Saturday morning at 6 a.m., with a seven o'clock uh, start central time and eight o'clock Eastern time start. That is such a quick turnaround. And if they're using the bullpen the way that they do, that's not a lot of recovery for the Yankees bullpen. And that's why I say today's postponement, even though it seems like it's going to benefit the Yankees, it really doesn't. You know, Ryan, you had a chance to play uh, in the big leagues for parts of seven years with the Colorado Rockies. And, you know, everyone wants to talk about how the ball flies and, uh, the humidor, they keep the balls in. But I get give me a little input because, you know, obviously playing in the National League West myself in San Diego, played a lot of games there. Uh, tell me a little bit how difficult it is just to play the outfield at Coors Field because of the dimensions and just how big the outfield actually is. Well, um, so a couple of years ago, this is what was so funny. So Charlie Blackman is somebody that, like, if you don't respect him for his work ethic – um, at least respect him for how like how attention to detail oriented he is because he figured out with the trainers based on distance that he had to run from the dugout to center field. Hmm. Um, Longest every in, in Major League Baseball too, by the way. And, uh, and imagine doing that, you know, let's say he played out of the 81 home games, he played 75 of those. So that's 75 games in center field and you're running out to your position on a good night, nine different times. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The additional feet that he ran just to center field was in miles. It was in miles. So extra miles attached to the body and even just moving to right field, it took miles away from his legs this season. So yeah, wow. just like, and you guys get this from um, if you've ever been to Colorado and if you've ever, you know, got off the plane or you're you're going to your hotel room and you're carrying your luggage up a flight of stairs, which um, as a fourth outfielder, I did it uh, <laughs> just because I'm cheap. <laughs> but but like you're winded, you know, you're winded because the altitude. Uh, there's a reason why the Olympic Training Center is in Colorado Springs, because uh, playing at altitude and recovering at altitude and working out at, at, at altitude. Um, it it takes a lot out of your body. So just just the the natural environment and what it does to your body creates an issue. Like there's no way around it. You know, recovering at, at altitude is really difficult. There's no everyone's in the same boat. That's why like when teams come to Colorado, um, you know, like if if I'm a visiting player, I stress to those players don't work out in Colorado. Like save your workouts for when you're at, at ocean level. Like, don't uh, make sure you drink extra water. Like, those are precautions. Sleep extra. Like, those are precautions mm-hmm. just for a visiting team for three days. Imagine a 10-game right. homestand. 
So like playing in Colorado is as much as it is, you know, like it's a vast outfield and there's extra hits, your body gets beat up from it. It really does. Um, and as far as like answering the, the original question, like, well, how do you play defense there with, with how big the stadium is? Um, I, I've usually pointed at this year's team and some of the numbers, um, you know, like it's, it's, you know, no secret that the Rockies outfield this year was not good. Um, part of the reason why, and some of the, uh, again, going to advanced analytics, teams are playing deeper. And, and, and Tony, you know this because you've seen it. You know, a lot more teams are playing their outfield defenses deeper. Why? Um, because the analytics are suggesting that an extra base hit means more slug. Um, you know, singles can't kill you. Um, usually an extra base hit leads to more runs. And, and the problem is when you start doing that at Coors Field, um, singles, uh, you know, singles will still yes. be singles, yes. but the original yeah. outs, the shallow broken bat single to right field, that's a single now too. So now your outs are turning into singles. And so when I played, I made sure, like, I could care less if a, ga- if a ball got hit over my head. I didn't care because it was a bad pitch. Um, but right. if you made a good pitch, I wanted to take those hits away from you. So I played as shallow as, as I could possibly feel comfortable doing. Um, and, and a lot of that has been lost because front offices are suggesting you play deeper. Yeah. And listen, I think it, it, Ryan, you're exactly right. Front offices are saying you play deeper. It's always been like that in Colorado. I mean, I think everybody just saw the outfield and I know when I used to come in there with San Diego and even LA, most of the pitching staff wanted us to play deep. And now this is obviously before analytics had a, a, huge uh, hold on how teams played uh but certainly in Colorado especially you see a lot of teams and we I I visited there a few times this year watching the Padres play the Rockies as Ryan mentioned and the outfielders play deep and as as he mentioned the wear and tear in the body over a course of a series let alone a course of a year for the guys who play in Colorado there's just no getting around Ryan I want to ask you a little bit about the Nationals right they come into this playoffs uh, probably one of the hottest team. They put together a brilliant strategy against the Dodgers, at least from the standpoint of how they were going to use their pitching. Uh, they get tremendous starting pitching in this round. They sweep through the Cardinals, a team that was hot in their own right. How do you see them matching up? Do you feel like they have a good chance? Or let me rephrase it. What is What have you seen from the Nationals uh, that gives you the belief that they can beat either the Astros or the Yankees? Uh, I mean, they can – they can beat any team because of their pitching. I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. And it, like the quality of the bats up and down the lineup. Um, so oh, I did this gosh, thing. Yeah. I, I did this thing where um, I really took into consideration what, um, what the Seattle Mariners were doing. And I, and I heard this, it was in an article a couple of years ago and they called it controlling the zone. Uh, it was something that Jerry DePoto and his group came up with. And it was, it was something a little bit beyond run differential. And what they looked at was, you know, how good is a team from a pitching staff at striking people out and limiting walks? And then they took they took that same concept and they applied it to the offense. So how good is your offensive unit at not striking out and taking their walks? And then you basically subtract the uh, pitcher stats in comparison to the offense. And if you get a positive number, that means your team's pretty damn good. So the best team in baseball based on that stat, real simple rudimentary stat was the Houston Astros and by a lot. So you look at Houston Astros run differential this year, they were the best in baseball with like a plus 280. 
But when it comes to the controlling the zone stat, they were off the charts. There was no team even close to them. They were like in the 700s, that, which is just absolutely remarkable. Um, but the next closest team was the Washington Nationals. And what's crazy about that stat is that it's proving again that there's a formula on pitching staffs that can strike people out, get the punch with limiting walks. It's getting outs. So like last night, you look at a game where the Cardinals struck out, what, 10 times? So if, if they strike out that many times in a game, you're talking about that you're now limited to 17 outs. 17 outs is like playing a, what, like a six-inning game. So you're basically saying that the Cardinals have to score in six innings versus another team that doesn't strike out as much that's going to have eight innings worth of baseball to play or seven and a third innings worth of baseball to play. And when you start looking at it that way, like how many innings does an offense get to truly play uh, and how much can a pitching staff limit an offense from actually playing? That's where the nationals match up against anybody. And that's why the Houston nationals are so good. That's why the Yankees are so good is that punching out, striking people out and limiting strikeouts is really the name of the game. That That is essentially what baseball is boiled down to. And, and because of that, uh, I think the nationals have a puncher's chance. The only thing I don't like about the nationals right now is that they have potentially, if the series against the Astros and Yankees last till Sunday, you're looking at nearly a week off of baseball, which I, I don't like it. I've experienced it myself. We were off for eight days. Um, the time off does no favors to the Washington Nationals. No doubt about it. Before we let you go out here, let me get your uh, World Series pre- World Series matchup. Obviously, we got Nationals. Who do you think makes it out of the, the American League? Um, I, I've stuck with this team from day one. Uh, I'm, I've been bullish on, on this team since day one. I, I just give you away the stat that uh, I think kind of lends itself to, to prove that they are the best team in baseball. Um, I have the Houston Astros making it to the World Series. I, I don't think um, as good as the Nationals are, and I think there's some great matchups. I, I don't think um, that they'll be able to hang with with the Houston Astros just because they're, they're pitching staff, they're starting staff, what Garrett Cole's done, what <laughs> Justin Verlander's done. I, I know Scherzer, I know Strasburg, I know Corbin, they've been great. Um, but the offense of the Astros, that they'll be able to mitigate those great pitching. So I have the Astros winning this World Series. Uh, they have to get through the Yankees first, but I have them getting through the Yankees and then beating who, uh, the Nationals. Well, there it is. Nationals, Astros, World Series. All right, Ryan. Uh, appreciate it. Don't hold me to it. And enjoy your Broadway day, brother. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I wish you were here. Good job, you guys. <laughs> All Take right, care, Ryan. Ryan. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for listening to Big Time Baseball Players Edition, presented by Radio.com Sports. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can also find it on Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, I'm Ben Davis alongside Tony Gwynn Jr. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 